This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Well, today's gospel passage describes that scene that we just heard read and I talked to the children about of Jesus at the temple watching people putting money into the temple treasury. And he sees this poor widow come and and put in those two small copper coins. And he says that most surprising thing to her. I want to read to you how Eugene Peterson translates uh, what Jesus said to the disciples. The truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. You know, there are many different ways that we might measure financial giving. One way to measure is not by how much we give, but how much we keep for ourselves. By the way, I had decided in that great big uh, Powerball thing that had I won, um, I was going to reverse tithe it, so I'd only keep 10%. Uh, Of course, the trouble was, uh, A, I didn't buy a ticket, and B, I still wouldn't have known what on earth to do with all that money. That's apropos of absolutely nothing, but I just thought I'd share that. (laughs) But, you know, giving what we won't miss, giving the spare change that we have left after we take care of everything else, is clearly not how God would have us give. I've written about abundance three times in the last couple of months, and I think we are indeed in a season of abundance here at Ascension. And we've seen all sorts of life and health and growth in our midst, for which we give thanks to God. But I think it is in a time such as this that we must heed the lesson of the two poor widows in our scriptures uh, this morning. In each case, those who could least afford to gave not out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. The widow at Zarephath gave her last meal to Elijah, and the widow at Jerusalem put her last two coins into the temple collection. In the face of poverty, bankruptcy, and desperation, they had a choice. Hold on tightly to the last bit of food or money, or trust God completely. Christian giving is about gratitude and trust, and it flows from a right understanding of who we are and a right understanding of all that God has entrusted to us. And I think that's so important that when we remember we are trustees of that which comes from God, then it becomes less about my money and more about how we use God's money. In our epistle reading today from Philippians chapter 4, we encounter St. Paul praising God and thanking the people at Philippi for their generous giving. What is instructive in this passage is what we learn about Paul's attitude towards money and giving. And this morning, I'm going to tackle three questions about giving. Why, how, and how much? So first, why should we give? In this passage from Philippians, there are three things I want you to notice. Giving brings blessing to others. Giving brings blessing to those who give. And giving brings blessing 
to God. First, giving blesses others. On the one hand, Paul is not that concerned about money. After all, he had learned to be content regardless of his circumstances. Remember, at the time of his writing this letter, he was under house arrest awaiting trial in Rome. Through his many and varied sufferings, he had learned the secret of contentment. Verse 12, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Paul, though content in all circumstances, was nevertheless in material need. Verse 14, it was kind of you to share my distress. At a time when no other church, it seems, was supporting Paul in his missionary endeavors, the Philippians did. Indeed, they helped him on many occasions. The generosity of the Christians in Philippi was a blessing to Paul. But Paul's primary concern for them is not so much that they bless him, but rather that they may be blessed. Specifically in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulated to your account. Paul wants them to understand that giving not only blesses others, but it also blesses those who give. This then is the second point. Giving brings blessing to those who give. And if we look at this in commercial terms, which is kind of the illustration Paul's giving, Paul is saying that giving is an investment of capital. And you know, elsewhere he uses the analogy of a farmer reaping what is sowed. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know, one of the joys of belonging to this parish is seeing how the money that is given to God through ascension is used. And clearly it's important that what is given is invested wisely in our programs, in our people, in our buildings, and in supporting other needs and missions. What a blessing it is as a parish to be able to give money away and to share with others some of the bounty we have been entrusted with. So giving blesses others, giving is a blessing to us, and thirdly, giving brings blessing to God. Paul is saying that a material gift to another person can be a spiritual gift to God. He speaks of the gifts he has received from them as being, in verse 18, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's the same expression that he used for Christ's suffering of himself for us on the cross in Ephesians 5. And it speaks of something very beautiful. It speaks of an act of of love. And as we just did a moment ago, today we join the people throughout the world who are remembering the sacrifice of those who gave their lives for their countries in times of war. But the ultimate sacrifice is the sacrifice of Jesus that we remember and celebrate in the Eucharist. And his sacrifice was a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice. We cannot add to that which is already full and complete. Yet as we say in the Eucharistic prayer, our sacrifice is one of what? What is it? Yes, praise and thanks. Thanks and praise. We give God praise. Why? Because regardless of what we feel, 
it is right to give him thanks and praise. We give financially back to God out of all that he has entrusted to us. Why? Because it is right to give. It is both a duty and a joy. I don't know how comfortable you are with that language of duty. I suspect not very. But on this Veterans Day, we're reminded of the duty of those who serve this nation. And there are many things in life that can be both a duty and a joy. Anyone here married? It's a duty and a joy, right? But I should imagine that we can think of all kinds of examples of when we may need to do the right thing out of duty as parents, as friends, as children, or in the workplace. And the humbling thing is, when we do that, when we do that which we ought to do, even if from less than stellar motives, we may find that the results of our duty, of an act of love, an act of obedience, an act of faithfulness, can be surprising and abundant good fruit and much joy. I think the best example of this juxtaposition of duty and joy is seen in our liturgy. In the opening responses at the Eucharistic prayer, the celebrant says, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, and the people respond, it is right to give him thanks and praise, and then the celebrant continues, it is right, excuse me, it is right, our duty and our joy always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Our duty and our joy. You know, we celebrate Holy Communion regularly because Jesus told us to do that. Hence, it is our duty. And also because it is of great benefit to us, bringing us joy, drawing us closer to God as we're reminded of all that he's done for us and as we feed on him. Just as giving thanks to God always and everywhere is both our duty and our joy, so also giving of our financial resources back to God is our duty and our joy. It's our duty because God tells us to give, and it's our joy because of all the blessings that flow from giving. That's one of the reasons that we have an opportunity to give each week in the context of our worship. We come before God offering ourselves, including our gifts of money, as a response to God's goodness and because it is a good and joyful thing to do. I want to be crystal clear this morning in how we answer this first question, why give? We give first and foremost as a response to who God is and what he has done for us. We give as our duty and our joy. And as we give, The joy of giving is realized in so many ways. Okay, so that's why give. How how should we give? In the Old Testament, we learn that God told the people of Israel to bring the first fruits of the harvest. Excuse me. Okay, we can do this. First fruits are special. They're the first, they're the best, the choicest. When it comes to money... First fruits, obviously, can't be what's left over when we've spent our money on everything else. 
We give first to God, and then we pay the mortgage and the, the car loan and the bills and the taxes and everything else. And when we are faithful in setting aside for God the first portion of our money, and of course, by the same token, the first and best portion of our time as well, then we are giving in the way that God asks us to give. St. Paul elsewhere writing to the church at Corinth uh, said that on the first day of every week, each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And so St. Paul's made a couple of things clear here. First, he's saying be systematic on the first day of each week, set money aside. That's not haphazard. And for us today, that might mean setting up an automatic payment through the bank. That's what I do. Um, The actual method isn't important, but the principle of intentionality is important. And secondly, and this is very important, Paul is saying, give in relation to your income. Or in other words, give proportionately. So we're to give firstly to God, we're to be systematic in our giving, and we're to give in relation to our income. Okay, so this begs the third question. What about the bottom line? How much? How much should we give? Well, we saw how much the two poor widows gave in our readings today. But what about us? Well, the biblical norm, the basic standard that we find in Scripture, is the tithe, or 10% of our income. And sadly, there are Christians who give, it would appear, haphazardly, almost as an afterthought, maybe, maybe like a, a tip at a restaurant. Let, let's just run with that analogy for a minute. Suppose you go out for dinner and the meal costs, say, $50, and assume that you have a very nice evening, the food is great and the service is impeccable, the waiter is helpful and friendly. When you're getting ready to leave, would you leave just two quarters on the table as your tip? I doubt it. I think if you did, most would agree that would be an inadequate way of expressing any blessing for the waiter. Surely your kind, friendly, helpful waiter deserved more than 1%. Two quarters, or 1% of $50, would seem like an insult, not a blessing. When it comes to blessing others, being blessed ourselves and blessing God, Let us not be like a stingy tipper. Rather, let us be joyful tithers. Now, bear with me if you've heard this second illustration before, but I think part of our problem is that we have a couple of concepts mixed up when it comes to tithing. It seems that we've confused the concept of the tithe with the concept of the speed limit. Let me explain. The speed limit, it seems, is no longer an upper boundary on the speed at which we drive. Rather, it's viewed as the absolute minimum speed at which we should go. At least, it certainly seems that way on the turnpike these days. The tithe, on the other hand, has suffered in the opposite direction. Rather than being seen as the basic minimum level of giving that God desires, it's now treated as some unreachable upper boundary, the maximum level of sacrifice that God could ever possibly ask of anyone. Well, of course, both of these ways of thinking are probably the result of our human selfishness. You know, we want to get there faster and have more when we arrive. 
Maybe it's time to start keeping our driving speed at or below the maximum and our giving at or above the minimum. It would certainly make our driving safer and our relationship with God stronger. But I want to close with something super important. I have no desire to place a burden or a guilt trip on anyone here this morning. And I realize that some here may not be giving what they would like to give because they're not able to, they're not free to, either because of unwise financial decisions in the past or perhaps um, a husband or a wife are not on the same page about this or, or for some other reason. But my challenge is simply this. Make a fresh start as you consider your response. I hope you've received the letter I sent out last week. And as you think about your commitment to God through this church for the coming year, take this seriously. You know, maybe you haven't been a generous giver. Maybe you're not tithing your income to God. Well, begin where you are, trusting that God will bring you where he wants you to be. Make a start in accordance with your income and give back to God the first and best portion. I have never, ever met anyone who does this and has regretted it. Not once. May our financial giving be a duty and a joy. And above all, let us never fail to keep on giving thanks to God for his indescribable gift to us, the gift of his Son and the gift of eternal life. As St. Paul reminds us, verses 19 and 20 of our reading, God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.